This Choircast podcast episode is brought to you by the book Letting Go, How I Failed Gay Conversion Therapy and Learned to Love Myself by Aaron Simnowitz. In this book, I take the reader on my journey as I navigate the controversial divide between the evangelical church and homosexuality. At 19 years old, my Christian faith and obedience to Jesus was the most important thing in my life. However, my attraction to other males tested my loyalties, as I believed I only had two choices, either choose Jesus and deny my sexuality, or choose my sexuality and denounce Jesus. In letting go, I hold no punches as I explicitly tell my story with relentless vulnerability, showcasing the emotional pain, anguish, and frustration, yet humorously engaging the reader simultaneously. This book gives readers just one example of a life that was tortured by gay conversion therapy and how it is possible to come out on the other side of self-acceptance. You can pick up this book at Amazon.com right now. Hey, this is Derek Webb, and you're listening to Second Cup with Keith, my favorite caffeinated theology podcast. Hello and welcome back to Second Cup with Keith. I'm your host, Keith Giles. And in this episode, I wanted to talk about something that, honestly, up to this point, in a way, I kind of have already been talking about it almost every single episode, but not directly, more indirectly. Um, so I just wanted to, um, I guess, take a step back or pause or whatever and say, let's talk about deconstruction. Uh, I mean, every episode of Second Cup with Keith so far has pretty much touched on um, one individual aspect of deconstruction or has dealt with some of the major questions or problems or themes uh, related to deconstruction or even reconstruction of faith. But I wanted to talk about deconstruction specifically. Um, I suppose just to provide a baseline of kind of like what, how I define deconstruction and how, what I, you know, what I would say about deconstruction and reconstruction as well and what it is and what it isn't, and to clarify some differences. Um, different people in the space and even outside of the space uh, tend to define deconstruction uh, in different ways. And so if you're kind of not sure, hey, what is this deconstruction thing? Or, yeah, I think I know what it means, but sometimes uh, I get confused about the way the term is used uh, or applied. Well, hopefully this episode will clarify some things for you. So, um, I don't really have any sort of, um, you know, historical research on deconstruction. I couldn't tell you, like, the deconstruction sort of Christian movement, if you want to call it that, began here or started there. I mean, I really don't know. I, I think, depending on where you want to draw the line, uh, in my experience, let's say in my lifetime, I would say the first thing I ever bumped into that sort of looked or smelled or felt like what the current, you know, deconstruction movement is like today was at the time that we used the term the emerging church. And so um, things like, you know, people like Brian McLaren or Spencer Burke, um, The Ooze, which is a website I used to write for. And there were a whole bunch of men. There were so many other little websites at the time that popped up. There was one called Seed Stories. Uh, there was one called Ginkgo World. Oh my gosh, there was just so many different websites uh, at the time. But um, they didn't use the term deconstruction. Again, they used the word emerging church. But that term was essentially just another way of expressing uh, a trend of people from within the evangelical fundamentalist Christian uh, or mainline Christian movement in America, typically, um, beginning to ask questions, 
saying, you know, how do we do church? Why do we do church this way? Is this the best way to do church? Um, that, that was typically the, the conversation it seemed was more around those things. Um, there were some people within that space that started to also question some of the major doctrines of the faith. I would say that probably um, really started to take shape uh, in a big way. And again, this is just my perspective. When Rob Bell kind of came out and, you know, he wrote his book, Love Wins, which in retrospect, you know, that book really wasn't a, it wasn't a persuasive book. It wasn't a book that, that argued sort of theology and scripture and, uh, you know, anything like that, really. It didn't try to make a strong case against eternal torment or, at the same time, really a strong case arguing in favor of the other two views, universal reconciliation or annihilation. Really, all Rob Bell did in that book was just ask some questions, uh, which is great. You know, in the tradition of Jesus, he really just started challenging assumptions and asking really good questions that in itself, the asking of the question set people over the edge. But it also... Um, allowed people permission to ask those kinds of questions, right? To, to voice their own sort of hidden, private, personal uh, objections or concerns about this idea of eternal conscious torment. And so um, I think what we are currently experiencing now as the, or what we call the deconstruction movement, I would, I would say if I had to put my finger somewhere, I would put it around there. But of course, um, there has been a flood of other, you know, authors and thinkers who have been uh, much more persuasive uh, in their writings, and and we have had a uh, an influx, uh, a surge, uh, I would say, around that same time of podcasts. My podcast being one of them, Heretic Happy Hour. We were kind of at the cusp in the, about five years ago. Um, in the growth of the podcast movement, specifically podcasts asking these kinds of questions, voicing these kinds of objections, um, examining, you know, what I called some of the pillars of deconstruction, which we'll get to in a second. But, um, but this deconstruction movement uh, essentially is something that I would say is fueled and maintained. I think the momentum and the strength um, and the inevitability of the deconstruction movement is it's powered by really the internet. I mean, because of things like podcasts, because of for uh, platforms like Facebook and Twitter and, and blogs, um, Patheos being one of the major ones as well, you know, it, it has just allowed people to take their questions, you know, uh, and YouTube and Google as well, you know, just being able to say, to, 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 to say privately, you know, I'm not sure I believe in the doctrine of eternal torment anymore. I'm not sure I believe uh, in, in, in the inerrancy or infallibility of scripture doctrine anymore. Um, or, or I'm not sure what I believe about the second coming of Jesus or, uh, or the incarnation or the, trin uh, the Trinity or something like that. And so people who have had these sort of private thoughts probably have always had, Christians have probably always had these kinds of doubts or questions or objections, but they've kept them to themselves. But now, um, because of the internet, they can freely just kind of Google something on their phone 
um, listen to a podcast, listen to a YouTube video, listen to a lecture series, read a book, read a blog, and say, okay, this makes sense. Yeah, this is a perspective that is different from what I'm hearing on Sunday morning from my from my pastor, from my denomination that I was raised in. And, um, and you know what? It gives me permission to think differently about some of these really big questions. And, and really, essentially, that is all the deconstruction at the end of the day. That's what it is. Deconstruction is simply uh, individual Christians, one at a time, beginning to have doubts and questions. We, we sometimes will use the metaphor of pulling on a thread or a Jenga square, right? Pulling that Jenga block out and then the whole thing collapses after a while um, or dominoes that fall, those kinds of things. And, and typically deconstruction, you know, uh, is something that people don't plan to do. And this is how you know people who talk about deconstruction don't know what they're talking about. Um, usually people outside of the deconstruction space, evangelical Christian leaders and pastors, authors, things like that, when they do a podcast or a YouTube video or something on deconstruction, um, they will usually, uh, among other things, uh, misrepresent deconstruction as a choice. In other words, like you're just sitting around one day and you say, you know, I'm looking at my calendar this week uh, and I need to go pick up the uh, the dry cleaning. Uh, I need to go shopping. Uh, I got to take Johnny to softball. And, you know, I think on Thursday I'm going to deconstruct my faith. Uh, no, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> Nobody sort of schedules or calendarizes their their deconstruction process. It is not something you just kind of like, yeah, that sounds fun. I think I'll do that. You know, and like uh, some evangelical pastors like Matt Chandler have uh, famously, you know, said things like the deconstruction movement is just, it's the, it's the latest fad. It's, it's hip. It's sexy. Um, again, as if people enter into deconstruction by some choice of, hey, this will make me cool. This will make people like me. Uh, no, no, that is not at all. Yeah, it just tells me right there you do not understand deconstruction. It just simply begins with with a, an unsuspecting Christian who was typically raised in, you know, a denomination or a certain stream of faith or theology, who begins to question it and doubt it. They typically, um, if they if they if they do reach out to their pastor, um, or let's say a youth pastor or a Sunday school, you know, uh, teacher or something like that, they typically get shut down. Um, they get they get threatened um, with anything, everything, and anything from the eternal flames of hell for their heresy or their doubt, um, and or uh, excommunication from the church. If they're in a place of leadership, they're they're asked to step down, or they're threatened with being removed from a place of teaching uh, young people or being in any kind of leadership position. Uh, I have talked to so many people over the years uh, who have those same stories. And here's the funny thing, too. Um, a lot of the people who deconstruct are pastors. And here's why. Because when you are a pastor, um, if you attend seminary, if you attend a Bible college, um, quite often you are told many of the things that people who are, who are just you know not pastors, who are just deconstructing, um, end up discovering on their own as they're doing their, their research, going down the rabbit hole of, of Google or YouTube or you know Patheos or something. Um, and they'll like, oh my gosh, this this word shouldn't be in the Bible, or oh my gosh, this is translated differently in the Septuagint, or oh my gosh, the church didn't always believe this, you know. And looking at church history, the, this is something that um, developed quite recently, whether that's dispensationalism or uh, Calvinism, you know, penal substitution, and that kind of thing. And uh, but the, the funny thing is, if you're a pastor, you know that, 
I mean, you are told that, you're taught that quite often uh, as part of your training. And so now you're in the pulpit and you're preaching stuff. And eventually you might find yourself in a place where you're like, you know, I don't believe this anymore. But the problem is you, this is your chosen career path. And maybe you've got a wife and some kids and bills to pay and, you know, and people depending on you, as well as a congregation that hired you expecting that you're going to preach every Sunday on the things that they want you to preach about that you no longer, you know, maybe you don't believe those things anymore. And so, um, for, you know, deconstruction is difficult, but man, it's even more challenging if you're a pastor. So anyway, um, deconstruction is something quite often, you know, this is true if you, if you have gone through deconstruction yourself, but for those of you who haven't possibly listening, let me just say this. When, when you find yourself having asked that first question, pulled on that first thread, and it could be different. It's going to, it's always different for everybody, um, uh, there's what I call the six pillars of deconstruction, and uh, but there's way more than six. But typically, there are things like, um, why is there suffering in the world? I don't believe the Bible is inerrant and infallible. Uh, penal substitution, the LGBTQ uh, issue, um, the way women get treated, you know, um, hell, the end times, you know, the Bible, all these kinds of things. So, uh, at, at any point, basically, you know, you, you will ask that first question, have that first doubt, do your own research, read a book, read a blog, listen to some podcasts or some YouTube clips, and then suddenly you're like, you know what, I'm going to change my mind on this. But there's a cost to changing your mind on that, and uh, the cost of that is if you make that public, if you share that with your circle, your inner circle of friends and family, um, the people, your support system, right, the people that are there for you when you go through some kind of struggle you know if someone dies you lose your job something bad happens you know th- this is the people that you turn to right your family your friends your your church uh your your church community well again the sad thing is because you deconstruct because you now don't believe in one of these six pillars you know eternal torment or the second coming or penal substitution or the inerrancy of scripture or whatever it may be um and you voice that those people turn on you they reject you Right, they they pretend not to notice you uh, at the uh, at the grocery store. You don't get invited to birthday parties anymore. You are asked to leave or to step down if you're in church leadership. You're called a heretic, a false teacher, uh, an apostate, and um, you are shunned. And this is a very sad reality that people experience. And so, deconstruction is very painful. It's painful because number one. You're going through the emotional existential crisis of questioning things you were, you believed your whole life, or at least, you know, as long as you've been a Christian, uh, things you've been told by people you loved and trusted. And now suddenly you're realizing that, well, that was wrong, or I don't believe that anymore. And then when you go and try to talk about that, uh, you're rejected by those people. And so again, that's, it's painful because your whole world is changing, right? You for many of us, especially Christians, we are told to kind of have our faith become our foundation. That becomes the sort of the bedrock that we we build our lives on. Uh, it's how I understand who God is and who I am and how the universe works and my place in the universe. And deconstructing that that theology and those bits of theology, again, it begins with one or two things, but eventually, you know, one falls, then the next falls, then the next falls, then the next falls. And because I don't, you know, maybe maybe if I start with inerrancy of Scripture, scripture well, then that makes me doubt, um, you know, eternal torment. And uh, and then I question eternal torment, then that makes me doubt penal substitution. And then I then I, then I I let go of penal substitution, that makes me doubt the second coming. And, and again, that's just one 
possible you know path that you could end up following but once you begin to question one eventually you're going to start questioning pretty much all of them right and that creates a, a large amount of anxiety and and discomfort and and fear for people dr marlene winnell who's done incredible work in this area and she actually does uh, some some uh courses and uh, that helps help people kind of get through religious trauma syndrome. I believe she coined that phrase, religious trauma syndrome. Um, but as a psychologist, she uh, she has acknowledged and recognized that, that um, you know, questioning these beliefs, it's not like deciding or, or just, you know, like shifting your belief, though, there's no Santa Claus or there's no tooth fairy, like when you're a kid. Um, it's way, way beyond that, especially when you do this as an adult. Um, it really does rock your world and it does create very real, very serious, emotional, psychological trauma. Uh, and uh, you have to recognize that and you have to address that. So number one, that's why deconstruction is such a painful thing. Again, it, the other thing, the reason it's painful, like I said, is because you experience this rejection from your support system, your your family, your friends, your faith community. Um, they, they reject you as well. And so it creates the, an intense feeling of isolation. You feel as if you're the only person in your in your zip code, the only one you know, who is asking these kinds of questions, having these kinds of doubts, and because of that, it creates again this um, loneliness and this feeling there's something wrong with you, uh, and that uh, you're just going to have to go through this wilderness, this this desert of faith, all alone, and that is really really painful for people. And so I should probably say at this point. Um, about three and a half years ago, close to four, I guess four years ago, uh, I started something called Square One, and it was very specifically a um, a course and a community. It's both. It's but it's a community of people. It's a private, exclusive kind of community of people on, on uh, through Facebook and Zoom who are deconstructing their faith. They're all at different points in the process. So number one is to provide some connection for them because they do feel isolated and alone. They're all going through the same kinds of um, emotional, spiritual trauma. And so, you know, they can be there for each other, support each other and bond. And so that's been a beautiful, I've seen that happen now many, many times, uh, as different waves of people have gone through this now over a hundred people. And, um, the other part of it though, it is a course. So it's like a 12 week course where each week, um, I have recorded, I pre-recorded a sort of a, a lecture on uh, each of these sort of stages of deconstruction, moving from deconstruction into what I call reconstruction of faith. And so each week they watch a video on one of those things. There's a, some light homework I want them to work on, think about, you know, questions to answer. And then at the end of every week, we have a Zoom call for about an hour, sometimes an hour and a half, two hours, but uh, where we kind of check in with each other, all, all everyone in that course for that, for that uh, session, for that round. Um, they all kind of go through it together. And it's anywhere from 10 to 15, 20 people at a time who go through this together. But, you know, just to hear other people um, share their story. And even when you share your story, to notice as you're sharing your story that everybody else on the Zoom call is nodding their head or smiling or, or crying uh, and, and uh, agreeing with and, and relating to what you're going through. So that that's something, again, having done this now for a long time with, like I said, over 100 people. This topic of deconstruction and reconstruction is something that's really important to me. And I've learned a lot in the process myself um, as I've walked people through it uh, and, and helped them sort of process their deconstruction. And so um, 
again, the other reason why I started Square One was because at the time, again, like three or four years ago, I I looked I looked around and I realized that um, there was there's so much out there as far as resources when it comes to deconstruction, right? There, it's endless, really. There's so much. But when it came to reconstruction, in other words, like something specifically helping people process their deconstruction and then in a an intentional way helps people think through what their what reconstruction might look like. And I'll talk about reconstruction in a second. But at the time, there was nothing. I looked around. Uh, there was really nothing out, out there. The other thing was that, um, and this still happens to me, but, you know, at the, at the time before I started Square One, I was... Because I'm an author, because I'm a podcaster, because I blog, on a daily basis, I would be getting messages, private messages from people who want to talk, you know, who are who are just beginning deconstruction. They're going through the the real the the, the pain of it, right? The worst of it, and they want help. They want guidance. They want resources. They want what should I do? You know, how Keith? What do I do about this? What should I do about that? How do I answer this? And so, you know, I'm happy to do that, and I and I still do that today. But at the at the time, I was just reaching a point where I was fr- so frustrated because I felt like, okay, well, I helped this guy. I spent an hour on the phone with this guy or, the, or a Zoom call, or I spent, you know, 45 minutes back and forth on, on an email message or a chat with this person trying to help them, give them ideas and resources, comfort them, and blah, blah, blah. And that's great. I don't mind doing that. But But it just felt so incomplete. You know what I mean? Like, I just realized I've been doing this for years, and then most of those people, I help them once, and they go away, and I never know what happens. You know, like... Did they make it? Are they okay? What? Where are they now? And I just don't have the time to follow up with everybody. So anyway, I thought Square One would be a way to sort of uh, get everybody together, um, create a community online, and and give them some guidance and help them process this. Uh, again, not not just me. Again, it's not like I got all the answers. I really don't. Truly, most of the answers, if there are answers, are coming from everybody else in Square One, all the other people that are part of Square One. Um, we then created a Square Two community for people that wanted to continue forward in that process. That's really more focused on reconstruction. And now there's a Square Three where everybody will land if they want to. Uh, and Square Three is just a Zoom call that happens uh, every Sunday afternoon, and it's very open ended. We talk about anything anybody wants to talk about. Anyway, but um, all that to say, deconstruction is something um, normal. I think it's something that. Uh, in fact, I think that you can find it in the words of Jesus. I mean, Jesus is deconstructing Judaism when he shows up. That's what he's doing, right? He's questioning all the major pillars of Judaism uh, one at a time, and that's what he's doing in the Sermon on the Mount. That is what he's doing with his life. He's challenging all these ideas of of his faith at the time. Um, and, you know, Jesus' invitation is to metanoia, Think differently. Think again, and that's what—that's all anyone is doing in evangelical Christianity when they enter a deconstruction process. They are metanoia. They are—they are thinking differently. They are thinking again. They are rethinking. Um, and so, I—I I think this is at least this is what I found is that my deconstruction process and many of the people in the Square One group that I've talked to, and, and people even outside of the Square One group, p- people that are going through the deconstruction process are not moving away from Jesus. That's another thing. M- many people confuse deconstruction um, with deconversion. Now, sometimes deconstruction can lead to deconversion. What do I mean? Deconversion is when you say, you know what, I don't believe in God at all, I don't believe in Jesus at all, I'm rejecting all faith, all Christianity, and I'm no longer a Christian. Um, That's deconversion. And it's different. Deconstruction is not deconversion. 
So again, so many people that I talk to, when they're going through deconstruction, what they're doing is they are deconstructing toxic man-made theology, penal substitutionary atonement theory, showed up in the 1500s. There were several other, six or seven other atonement theories before that one. We have, we have a second cup episode on this. If you're curious, check out the one on penal substitution. But you know, but it's a good thing to, to deconstruct that, to step away from that, to look at that, to examine that, to look at the history of that, the teaching of that, the implications of that, to realize that there are other ways of looking at this, of, of Jesus' death on the cross and saying, okay, you know, I, I reject this and I'm gonna, I, I have, I think this, this other view might be a better view, like something like, um, Christus Victor, right? Or substitute, uh, uh, what's some of the other theories? I'm going blank. Satisfaction theory, right? Or something like that. Anyway, there's there's many other theories. So the point is that many people who deconstruct their faith, what they do is they shed toxic theologies, and what they gain is a, uh, in, in their experience anyway, it's it's something that's more like the real Jesus that they read about in the Gospels, right? They're moving back towards Jesus, and they're moving away from sort of uh, more modern man-made theologies and beliefs and doctrines. And I think that's a good thing. Um, I, I think for many of those people, they have, they would say that they have a much deeper connection to God. They feel much a much more real connection to Christ. Um, and they have a faith that is not about shame or fear or guilt, um, but it's about love and uh, connection with God and um, forgiveness and mercy. We deal with forgiveness a lot in square one. Um, you know, it's it's about all these really good, positive, beautiful things. It's moving away from all the negative condemnation, shame, guilt, fear, all that stuff. So deconstruction essentially is just a move in that direction. In the in my square one course, um, I'll just kind of briefly go down what we do. You know, we do a lesson one is sort of dealing with deconstruction and why it hurts so much. Uh, the second session we deal with again, what I call again those six pillars of deconstruction and um Lesson three, we talk about reconstruction, what it is. I'll talk about again, I'll talk about that a little bit more in detail in a second. Um, lessons four and five, we look at Jesus without religion or politics, and we sort of re-examine Jesus um, from a fresh perspective, the historical, actual Jesus. And then uh, then we, uh, lesson six, we talk about detoxing from our detox, which is such an important thing. We, we go uh, talking about forgiveness after that, lesson seven. Uh, lesson eight, we move into, this is where we really begin to turn the corner and move deep into the reconstruction process. We talk about rewiring our brains uh, and the plasticity of the brain and how we actually can sort of intentionally kind of take charge of our, like, refocusing our our brain and our attention away from the um, kind of loop, the kind of a negative loop that you get caught in, you can't easily get caught in when you're in your deconstruction process and how important it is to have the, to be empowered to understand that you can break out of that and how to break out of that when you catch yourself in those moments. And that is really what empowers you to propels you forward into a better state of mind to begin your reconstruction process. Um, we talk about practical grace and what is that? Um, having grace for, people in your past and people currently who still believe and embrace things you've rejected, um, but also having grace for yourself. And then we get into things like daily practice, finding and creating new daily spiritual practices that are not the practices that we were handed that don't really work and haven't really worked for us and to, to say like, okay, but what does work? 
what are some spiritual practices that I that I can engage in that really do feed my soul, make me feel closer to God and, and other people, and and allow me to live out a more authentic um, faith experience, a connection with Christ. What does that look like, right? Um, lesson 11, we talk about uh, our need for community and how to redefine community in a way that's a little more healthy. Uh, not about agreement or being being right, uh, but about um, loving people for who they are and accepting wherever they're at in that process, right? And creating truly safe places uh, for community to thrive. And in the final week, the week 12, we just kind of talk about putting all of that together. Like how do we pull together everything we've already talked about and uh, I'm going to move forward. So that's the essential kind of process that we go through in, in the square one course. And, uh, and again, uh, let's, let's talk about, cause I keep saying, I'm going to talk about reconstruction. Um, so what is reconstruction? So to me, th- this is where it starts to get a little dicey. Um, or I guess where I feel the need to be a little careful, but rather than focusing on the negative, let me focus on the positive. There are many other people out there in the sort of deconstruction, reconstruction space that I, I recommend, uh, that I think are doing good work and are doing it in a way that at least aligns with the way I'm doing it. So I guess I'd call that the right way. Um, but people like, um, uh, the naked pastor, he is, uh, he's wonderful and, um, he, he does a wonderful, he has, he has a great approach to deconstruction and, uh, and reconstruction. So I highly recommend him. Uh, Don Keithley is another one. Uh, Jim Palmer is another one. So yeah, there are, there are some people out there doing deconstruction, reconstruction work that I think are doing it the right way. Um, but my concern, what I would say is the thing I would, I would, I would encourage you if you are, if you're going through deconstruction and you are curious about you know, what does reconstruction look like? Here's what I would caution you on. Number one, don't let anybody tell you how to deconstruct or how to reconstruct. Um, why do I say that? Well, because for a lot of people, um, they have a vested interest in maintaining um, certain things that, you know, because they are leaders or pastors or they're they're still kind of seen as... Um, spokespeople or leaders within their denominational systems. And so because of that, they will only go so far. And what they, what they will end up doing is telling you, oh yeah, go ahead and deconstruct. But you know, at the end of, at the end of your deconstruction, just come right back to where you started and embrace, you know, um, these doctrines or these creeds, uh, or these, what they would call essentials. And, um, and to me, that's controlling. First of all, it's telling you how to deconstruct as if they know better than you what your faith journey should look like. Um, and number two, it's sort of invalidating your whole process of deconstruction. It's telling you, oh yeah, go ahead and question these things. Go ahead and doubt these things. Go ahead and reinvestigate these things. Go ahead and give yourself permission to think differently about these things. But when you're done, um, you need to come right back to where you started and sit back down in the pew and uh, just, you know, get back to business. And and that's, I just, I disagree with that so much. So Again, I guess just to say it in a different way, in a better way, reconstruction is not a return to orthodoxy. Um, not necessarily. Now, it could be that way. I guess what I'm saying is reconstruction is open-ended and reconstruction is highly individualized and personal. So I know people who have deconstructed their faith, thought through all the questions, wrestled through everything they needed to wrestle through, have gone through a reconstruction process, 
and at the end of it have decided all kinds of things, right? Um, some of them, you know, say, hey, I, I, I believe in Jesus. Uh, I love Jesus. Uh, I embrace the deity of Christ. Um, I, I have a respect for the Bible. Maybe I, I don't believe eternal torment, but I believe universal reconciliation or I believe annihilation or whatever. Uh, and you know what I mean? So they, they've, they've kept some things the same. They've changed some other things. But, you know, they still go to church uh, on Sunday morning. They've just found a church that they they feel safer in. Uh, they found a church community that is more open or affirming or whatever. Um, but some other people have also gone through deconstruction and their reconstruction looks like, you know what? I don't know if I believe anything other than God is good. God is love. Um, Jesus is awesome. And uh, I'm going to follow Jesus and, um, and, you know, and love God and love others. And that's it. And they don't, you know, they don't bring any uh, doctrines or creeds or baggage, well, you know, from the evangelical theological Christian world that they were in. And, and like, at least in square one, what I do, I don't tell anybody what their deconstruction has to look like. I don't tell them, well, at the end of it, you have to look like this. You have to agree with this. No, I, I, I can't do that. Um, now some people do that. I don't, I don't feel comfortable doing that at all. Uh, what I want to do is help people navigate their own deconstruction and reconstruction process. And I would encourage you to do the same, that no one knows better than you what you believe and why you believe it or why you should believe it or shouldn't believe it. Um, and also though, just recognize, as I, I said in the, uh, one of the previous episodes, we talked about embracing mystery, you know, let go of this need to be right about everything. It isn't about being right. It isn't about having the right ideas, the right theology. Um, it's really about just being honest with yourself. Do you personally have an authentic, live, vibrant, um, healthy spirituality, a connection with God and a connection with God that, that, um, that informs and feeds a connection with other human beings that is loving and kind and giving and, and, you know, compassionate and self-giving and, you know, Christ-like. That's what Christ-like means, right? This kenosis, this self-giving love. Um, and so if you are pursuing that, I think anything else around that is, uh, is up to you. And also recognizing that it might be in flux. It might change, right? So today it's this and this and this, <laughs> but you know, and in six months from now, a year from now, five years, 10 years from now, you know, those things are, some things are going to stick around in my belief system. Some things are going to drop away. Some things are going to get replaced. Some things are going to get updated or, you know, upgraded, kind of like a software upgrade. And, and that's okay. Give yourself permission um, for that, which means by the way, if you are going to take that approach, uh, and again, I recommend you do, it means then that you don't owe anybody any sort of justification or rationalization or uh, explanation of where you are right now and why. I mean, it's a highly personal thing. Um, so when people ask you, well, what do you believe about this and what do you believe about that? You have permission to say, I don't know. I'm still, I'm still thinking about that. I'm still, you know, I'm working over that. I'm, I'm studying, I'm praying, I'm considering, I'm evaluating. I know I don't know where I'm at on that right now. Or you can flat out just say, you know, that's a really personal question. And right now I'm not at a place where I feel like, you know, you and I uh, can talk about that because it, this really depends on who's asking your, this question, right? 
Are they a safe person? Are they asking because they want to debate you, because they want to fix you, because they want to prove that you're wrong and they're right? Well, in that case, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to attend every argument you're invited to. And this is, this is certainly true when it comes to the internet. Stay away from, (laughs) I would strongly urge you just stay away from comment wars uh, and debates on Facebook. People love, love, love to do that. What I found, by the way, is that so, so often people are so eager to jump into uh, Facebook comment debates. But when I, when I say to them, Hey, could we jump on a zoom call? I'd love to just talk to you about this. Nobody wants to do that. Or if I even just flat out say, Hey, could we have a formal debate where you take this position? I will take the other position. Um, we'll get a, we'll get a moderator and we'll just have a little record like an actual debate and we'll go back and forth. No, they're not interested in that, but they want to continue doing a back and forth comment or, and um, I would just recommend that's not very productive or fruitful. So you're probably better off not doing that. So at the end of the day, um, deconstruction is a highly personal thing. I, I personally would say, you know, when I look at the deconstruction movement as it's happening, I do feel it's inevitable. I feel it's unstoppable. It's something that the evangelical Christian church wants to stop, but they're not going to be able to stop it because they can't stop. Well, I, what I would believe is the spirit of the living God, that, that ultimately it's, it's the spirit of Christ that is causing believers in the pews to ask these questions, to have these doubts, to, to investigate for themselves, to begin to look for, you know, books and podcasts and YouTube videos and things like this, to get answers to that nagging question, that nagging doubt, to find other people who have also asked that same question or had that same doubt to, uh, to allow their beliefs to, uh, to grow, to mature, to, to truly, you know, um, engage in a metanoia, uh, faith approach to say, I'm going to rethink that. I'm going to think differently about, I'm going to give myself permission to think differently about these things that I've been told I have to think a certain way or I'm a heretic, or I'm a false teacher, or I'm an apostate, or I'm wrong, or I'm dangerous, or I'm a false teacher, whatever it happens to be, um, to say, you know what, I, I just don't care about that anymore. What I care about is what's true. Right? What I care about is what is consistent with the character of God and the character of Christ. And um, when you begin to question those belief systems that um, are, at the end of the day, simply painting a picture of God or of Jesus that you are not comfortable with, that you say, doesn't this doesn't line up with the Jesus that I know, the God that I believe in, then yes, you have permission to ask those questions. You have permission to begin to look for answers. And that is deconstruction. And reconstruction is the process of sort of rebuilding after you've sort of t- torn down those things to say, okay, I don't believe this, but what do I believe? I don't attend these meetings, so what will I do? Um, I don't you know, have a quiet time every morning. So what instead am I going to do to grow spiritually, to maintain uh, a vibrant, life-giving, uh, you know, connection with my creator, with the God of love who loves me, uh, with, the, with the Christ who uh, abides in me as I abide in Christ? How do I connect with that? <laughs> How do I connect with Christ that way? How do, what does it mean to abide in Christ, right? And so again, for everyone, for, for each person, that's going to look different. Uh, maybe I can do a podcast coming up on, on some of those things because that's fun to explore 
what some of those sort of new spiritual practices could be potentially. Again, in square one, um, we go through that. We spend a whole week on that. I, I lay out what is sort of like a, um, it's uh, like, I, I, I describe it like a buffet. They used to call it a smorgasbord when I was a kid, uh, but a buffet, a salad bar, if you will, of um, of generous options for you to try and consider, to say, well, you know, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try that. And, and, and what you will find uh, as you try different things is that some things really work for you. And if they do, then great. Add that to the list and do those things. Other things you try are, you're going to hate it. You're like, oh, that did not work. I did not enjoy that. Okay, well, good. Now you know. Scratch that off the list and then try something else. Um, and the point is that no one knows better than you what works, what what makes you feel alive, what makes you feel, what fulfills you, what makes you feel connected to God, what genuinely um, allows you to experience the presence of Christ in your life and the love of God in your life. And again, it's it's going to be different for every person, and that's okay. We all should have permission to to explore that. And when we find something that works, to do that. And we again, we don't have to give anybody, we don't owe anybody any sort of justification or explanation for what that is because it's real for us, it's working for us, and that's really ultimately, at the end of the day, what matters. Um, anyway, I hope this is helpful. I don't know if I've left anything out on this. I, again, I don't want to get too deep into the weeds uh, when we talk about deconstruction, but I hope that's helpful. I hope, if nothing else, I've clarified what deconstruction is and what it is not. And uh, whether, you know, you find yourself going through deconstruction right now, you just started the process, uh, my heart goes out to you. <laughs> uh, I know it's not easy, but uh, I hope you would look for and find communities, safe communities of faith uh, that will be there to help you and support you as you go through your deconstruction. And uh, again, as I said, there's, there's many out there. Uh, Square One is one of them, but there are others out there that are also really good. And there's Facebook groups out there too. They're, they're not all good, but you know, you can, again, use some discernment, find ones that work for you and that say, okay, this is a safe space. This works for me. Um, I trust these people and um, these, this is a good community for me to, uh, to ask my questions, share my doubts, and even that I could even help and encourage other people who are going through this process as well. If you've been going through deconstruction a, whole, a long, long time, um, well, that's good. I think it's actually a lifelong process. A lot of times people going through deconstruction will say, when does this end? Uh, because it feels out of control for them. They feel like uh, it's deconstruction is something that just happens to them, right? And it's like you're on a roller coaster and you're not in the driver's seat. You're not steering it. No one is. And then people, especially at the beginning when they're, they're in feeling that kind of out of control, fear, anxiety uh, aspect of it, will say, you know, when does it end? When does it stop? And well, the good news and the bad news is the same. It doesn't. Uh, it's and, and, you know, that can be bad news for you if you're going through that painful side of it. But the good news is you'll always be uh, in a process, which you should anyway. I, again, I encourage people to hold loosely to their beliefs. Don't let the cement dry on your beliefs. You should always be in a place of, of, of examining and re-examining your faith and where, you, what you, where you're at with things, what you believe. And again, that's, that's okay. I think that's actually healthy and normal. So anyway, thank you for listening to this episode of Second Cup with Keith. I hope it's been a blessing to you. I want to say thank you to all of you who have left comments over on Apple uh, Podcasts, uh, iTunes, and uh, given us some 
four and five star reviews. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Some of you even suggested topics. Thank you for that. Uh, we'll see if we can get around to those eventually. Uh, I do appreciate that. And if you could take the time to rate and review us, uh, especially on Apple, I would really appreciate that. That would be wonderful. And I'd love to just hear your feedback, uh, what you like about Second Cup with Keith, ideas for future episodes, and things like that. Um, I really do appreciate it. It gives me, gives me, um, you know, that boost. It gives me, <laughs> I get excited about recording the next episode, knowing that people are listening and they're enjoying it. So, again, those of you who have said so, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll talk to you, talk to you next time here on Second Cup with Keith. God bless. Take care.